Our title of this sermon is Sharing Our God Stories. Sharing Our God Stories. And today we're going to read an epic glory story. And I don't mean epic in uh, the sense of like the throwaway cool word, like that thing was so epic, right? That was epic, right? And then eventually that word kind of loses its meaning. Uh, I mean epic in the sense that this is really an epic. Like it's a story of start to finish of what God has done in David's life and what God is doing uh, big picture in all of human history. So it's an epic story of God against and over evil on behalf of his people and its story style. So that's Psalm 18. Uh, Psalm 18 is a triumphant Psalm of David about rescuing, about, uh, about God rescuing him from Saul and his enemies. And we see that in the superscript. So the superscript is right there. It says, to the choir master, a Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. But Psalm 18 is not only about Saul, and we'll see, we're gonna see that it soars above King Saul and the ways that Saul was kind of in David's face and frustrating David and his life. Uh, we're gonna see that it soars above him as do the victories that God provides for you, right? We have uh, circumstances in our lives, difficulties in our lives that, uh, that weigh us down. And then we realize that God is doing far above uh, for us uh, to help us through what we're facing. And Psalm 18 is that story. We see the individual things that we're facing and then we see God's love over that. And then we see God's uh, kind of meta-narrative power and love, God over evil. We see all of that and we get to take part of it as believers in Jesus Christ, part of his family, part of his kingdom, all right? So if you are doubting that God lives, if you are doubting that God loves, Psalm 18 is gonna help you today, all right? If, you, if your memory of God at work is a bit dampened for whatever reason, Psalm 18 is gonna help you today. If your memory of gospel hope is for some reason dampened, Psalm 18 is going to help you today. And so I wanna give you this big idea today. It's only four words coming from Psalm 18 and it's this, Yahweh lives and loves. Yahweh lives and loves. Right, Yahweh is the Hebrew name for God. It means I am, it means I exist, it means God is eternal and he's steadfastly loving. And as David outlines this story this morning for us in Psalm 18, we too can take up this outline and make it our own. And that's part of what we wanna do. Right, as we see the Psalms, we're learning part of expression to God. And this is David praising God for this big story of his life. And we can do that too. And we can learn and take up this, this outline and make it our own. After all, it already is our own through our deliverance that Jesus has achieved for us. So what I wanna do as we move through this, y'all, it's 50 verses, all right? You ready for this? 50 verses, okay? This is a long one. We're gonna do it. We're gonna get after it in normal time. Uh, but what I wanna do is move us through five points, five points, and the first one is one through six. And it starts like this. I called for God and he answered me, right? I called for God and he answered me. 
When has God done that in your life? You cry out to him. Maybe it's your conversion. I'm a sinner. Jesus, you're, you're the savior. Save me, forgive me. I call to God and he answered me. Maybe it's his circumstance. What has he done? Here's David beginning this. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. This word for love in verse one is a emotional love. It's, it's not a word, honestly, that's used a lot for love in, uh, from David and, and in the scriptures, but here it's an emotional love. And so why, why would it be an emotional love here? It's totally okay that it's an emotional love, but David is saying here, you rescued me, God. So I love you. You rescued me. And David is using so many emblematic words about God here. As you see in these, in these verses two through three, right? He says God is his strength and God is his rock and God is his fortress and God is his deliverer. And then he says rock again. And then he says refuge. And then he says shield. And then he says horn, which means like he's holding on to the Lord. And then he says stronghold. That's who God is. And David recognizes that. And David is taking part in that. And he's taking part in that while he recognizes that kings like Saul glory in their own arsenal. They glory in their own armor or the wicked glory in their ascendant power in this world and their influence in this world and their abominations. But instead, David is glorying in someone stronger and it's the Lord. Also, all of these metaphors about God's strength contrast with the chaos of everything that entangles David otherwise. You see that in verses four through six, these downward forces that are entangling David. And so you see David like reaching up and, gra and like asking the Lord to help him and God reaching down and pulling him up out of that swirling water, out of the things that are entangling and encompassing him and drowning him. And so for that rescue, David is saying, I love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I called for God and he answered me. What's going on with David is not only difficulty with wicked enemies or with Saul, but with spiritual powers as well. And it's what we know as believers, right? It's not just flesh and blood that we're fighting against, but against spiritual powers. And I wanna show you Ephesians 6, verse 12, such a helpful verse for us. It's, it's important for us today as we think about our own culture and our own world and what's going on. It's not just flesh and blood like terrestrial things. It's, it's, it's cosmic things. So it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
And one very interesting thing about the Psalms is that uh, we see a Psalm like Psalm 18, which is pretty much verbatim, uh, 2 Samuel 22. And then we see the Psalm get it above a layer of that to what God's doing even bigger picture, right? And then for us, we see it even soar above that, what God's doing worldwide and in human history, and so that's one unique thing that Psalms does is it's recounting David's life. It's, it's heightening what God is doing so that we can see that and apply it to our own lives. So David and we can get ensnared by what is in opposition to God. David knows that and he's crying out to God for help that he wouldn't be. And that's illustrated here by the torrents of water. It's illustrated here by the cords and the snares of death and of hell David is very honestly saying life is hard. We honestly say life is hard. The world is broken. Satan lies and he twists things. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. Enemies prosper. And so in the midst of all of that, David is calling for God and God is answering. So we can get ensnared, overwhelmed and overwhelmed. So what do we do? What do we do when we get ensnared and overwhelmed? We call to God for help, and he answers us. So about what do you get ensnared? About what do you get overwhelmed? And I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to call to God and let him answer you. David is telling this glory story, and he wants us to be reminded and renewed and refreshed and emboldened by it today. I called for God, and he answered me. And then from 7 through 19, we see this. God moved heaven and earth for me. God moved heaven and earth for me. So I called to God and he answered me and then what did God do? He moved heaven and earth for me. And then you think like, who can move heaven and earth? Well, God can. And then he did that for me. You see the personal nature of God's love here. David saying, I love you, Lord, as he opens the psalm. So look at verses seven through 19. It says, then the earth reeled and rocked the foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devoured fi devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through the clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens. And the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from on high, he took me, he drew me, out of many waters, he rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. God moves heaven and earth for you. God moves heaven and earth for you. 
I just shared a minute ago that 2 Samuel 22 recounts David's life and certain moments, and then that's placed here in the Psalms for us. But I want to ask you, uh, during David's life, as you read 2 Samuel, was there ever a moment where the earth was reeling and rocking like this? The answer is no. Right? Was there ever a moment where David saw God ride on a cherub and on the wind and shrouded in clouds of darkness like a thunderstorm? Did he ever see that? And the answer would be no. Um, did he ever have a moment where God was thundering and flashing forth lightning and throwing coal and hailstones down? Did that ever happen in David's life physically? And the answer would be no. Not visibly nor audibly, but spiritually, yes. Spiritually, yes. And so literally, yes, too. Y'all, this is really powerful. David is rightly seeing rescue by God as his own personal exodus, his own personal Sinai. He's borrowing all the language from the Exodus narrative. He's borrowing all the language from the Sinai narrative. And he's like, God, you did all of this. You moved heaven and earth for me and your mighty power, you did this for me. You didn't just solve this little thing in a little way by making a little move. You came out of heaven and handled this for me because you love me. And he's telling other people like that. He says, why did God do that? And in the end of 19, he says, because God delighted in me. How incredible. Our interpersonal God who can do all of these humongous things, these cosmic things, cares for us. Uh, CJ and I enjoy um, back and forth texts a lot um, about just what God is right, wrote down in the scriptures for us. And as y'all know, CJ is teaching an excellent, an excellent class on Leviticus, which is just so cool. Like our, cl- our church has a class on Leviticus right? We just, I just want to say booyah to that, right? Like, <laughs> praise God, right? So CJ is, a, is literally an Old Testament scholar, and we praise God for him in our church. Like, it's wonderful. And he sent me um, this week, we were, I was texting him about verses four through six and like trying to make sure, like, I'm thinking this with the language here and that, and he sends me amazing things every time I send him that text. So, so I want to show you a picture, and this is, um, this is kind of the way that the Old Testament writers and here in the Psalms would see what is happening on a uh, even bigger than global level, right? A spiritual level. And we see this from Ephesians 6.12. And then we see this in these big, sweeping, God is huge, throwing all these things down on the earth against wickedness. We see this here. So, so this is a really great rendering of how the Old Testament paints human experience. Everything below is swirling and in it people are drowning and people are being ensnared, they're being devoured, they're being enslaved. There's all this downward pressure. That's exactly what David's describing here in verses four all the way through 19. But what is above is God. What is above is God rescuing people from those things. So David is calling out to God for help and God is reaching down and pulling David up and rescuing. And where is he putting David? He's putting David and people like us who call out to God for help. He's putting us on his holy mountain. The place of God's presence, the place where God delights in us, the place of having been rescued, the place of consistent abiding rescue as we try not to get back down into the swirl and into the entanglement. God is there and he loves us and he gives us his presence and he gives us dry ground. God moves heaven and earth for us. 
So like the Exodus, God has delivered David from a stronger than David enemy. And like Sinai, God has walked David through chaotic waters and set him on God's mountain with God's word. And David is seeing bigger picture things, right, than just the circumstances that he's in. And he's placing himself in this amazing heritage of people who follow the Lord and love him and fear his name. God, you have done an Exodus thing for me. You have done a Sinai thing for me. You have moved heaven and earth for me. And so the result for David and the result for us is that though life is dark, we can be radiant. It's a powerful thing, right? Life is dark and we can be radiant. It's like we're waiting for life to be light, for us to be radiant, but life can be dark and we can be radiant. Why? Because we know the Lord and he's rescued us and he's pulled us from the mountain. Things are chaotic still, but we're with the Lord. So how can we feel radiant? How can we be radiant when life is dark? And the answer is because Yahweh lives. And the answer is because Yahweh loves. Yahweh lives and Yahweh loves. So how has God moved heaven and earth for you? How has God moved heaven and earth for you? Maybe just jot down some ideas for yourself, right? For sure your conversion, coming to the Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, Lord, please forgive me. I hear that you will forgive me because I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and you wanna, you wanna pull me out of the enslavement I have to sin and give me new life. Would you do that, Lord? And you confess your sin and you confess that Jesus is the savior and he saves you. For sure that moment of how he's delivered you. How else? What other moments in your life has God moved heaven and earth for you? circumstances, things you've prayed for? How has he done that? How has he proven that he delights in you? How has he proven his faithful, steadfast love to you? Even if things didn't get better, he proves that he's pulled you up on the mountain in the midst of the chaos that's still swirling around, right? God moves heaven and earth for us. Here's the third one. It's that God delivered a humbled person like me from 20 through 30. God delivered a humbled person like me. Right? We think about this word humility, we'll talk about it in just a minute, but when we meet the Lord and we realize that he rescues us and we realize that he cares for us, we realize that he delights in us and it's God who does that, who created everything and it is powerful over all of creation and that he cares for us, it humbles us. It humbles us. And so David here saying, God delivered a humbled person like me. Look at 20 through 30. He says, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. This is a righteousness that's like he's choosing God. Everyone else is choosing wickedness. All right, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not wickedly departed from my God. For his, all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him. I kept myself from guilt So the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. For you save a humble people. But the haughty eyes you bring down, for it is you who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. God delivered a humble person like me. You know, David isn't flexing here. Like, I'm so humble, right? 
David is sharing very clearly that he has been humbled. He's met the Lord. He's met his enemies and realized my enemies are stronger than me. And he's like, God, only you are stronger than my enemies. Only you can do anything about this. And so David has humbled himself under the Lord and God has cared for him and rescued him. David is humbled. And in the presence of God on the holy mountain to which God has brought David, David is now in the presence of the Lord and therefore bearing his image more and more. And that does make him bear the image of God, be more righteous, especially in comparison to the wicked. So David has been humbled. What made him humble and therefore strong? The answer is abiding in Jesus with God's word, which is really the big idea of the Psalms. It's abiding in Jesus with God's word. Verse 30, he says, he says uh, the word of God, of the Lord, proves true. His way is perfect. So he's not trusting the words of the, of the world. He's trusting the word of the Lord. He's fearing the Lord. He's, he's walking with the Lord. He's a student of the Lord. He's abiding in Jesus. He's abiding in God's word. Y'all, one of the best enemy tactics against us is to cut off your supply line. One of the best enemy tactics is to cut off your supply line. And what is your supply line as a Christian? It's prayer. It's the word of God. It's the Bible. It's one another. It's worship. Those four things, it's your primary supply line. And if the enemy can cut you off from those things or distract you from those things with all the things that are going on, then he's gonna have a leg up on keeping you from focusing on the Lord. And David did not let that happen. He did not let the evil one cut off his supply line. Verse 30, he's saying, the word of the Lord proves true. David's supply line was not himself and his own strength, as we'll see. It was the Lord. David stayed in God's word. He was kept believing that Yahweh lives and loves and ultimately proved it. And so when you are abiding in Jesus with God's word, you're not king. Jesus is. And David got that and understood it very clearly. Y'all, the word humility gets a bad rap, right? It gets a bad rap as weakness. But really, that word humility is knowing the pecking order, right? It's knowing who you are and who God is. And when you know who you are and who God is, you're like, God is king, I'm not. And David got that. And David's like, only you can rescue me. Only you can rescue me, Lord. So he got that, and he's recognizing that he is a humbled person, right? God is above all, including me. So I'm going to bow down to him as everyone one day will bow down to him as well. So the question here after point three is are you humbled? Are you humbled? Not are you humble? Because if you think are you humble, you're immediately like, hmm. You start thinking about yourself. Are you humbled? And you think about God. And you think about what God's done for you despite you. You think about what God's done for you despite what's going on in your life. And you're humbled, Right? How has God delivered a humbled person like you? Here's the, here's the fourth move that David makes in this outline of, of story that he's giving us. It's that God equipped me during my battles. I think this is one of the first ways that we pray, and maybe there's a little bit of a lesson in Psalm 18, like maybe make this the fourth thing you pray. God, equip me for today, right? Help me, help me, God, through this thing I'm gonna do. But he's praising God, and he's recounting the story, and then he gets to equipping from verses 31 through 45, God equipped me during my battles. 31 through 45 say this. For who is God? For who is God but the Lord? What a great question. 
And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. There's David being humble, right? He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me. And your gentleness made me great. That's his walk with the Lord. You gave me a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet for you. Equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against uh, me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. And those who hated me, I destroyed. For they cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. God equipped me during my battles. There was a song uh, that plagued King Saul while David was waiting in the wings to be king. And if you've read First and Second Samuel, you know this song. And it's the song that uh, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands, right? And uh, y'all, the, the women of the, the land were singing that song. And just imagine Saul hearing that, uh, that Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. That'll get in a man's head, right? right? That'll get in a man's head. And so Saul is feeling that, the insecurity of that. But in the midst of that, what is David's feeling? It's that it's because the Lord had equipped him. The Lord had equipped him. He's saying that right here. Why was David successful in battle? Why was David able to kill 10,000 when Saul was able to kill one? It's because the Lord was with him. Y'all, our goal as Christians, we read this passage and we're like, I don't really know that there's a moment in my life where I want to be beating people fine as dust before the wind and cast them out like mire in the streets, right? You read Psalms like, you're like, what am I supposed to do with that, right? 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 It's not quite the same, right? And so... And so our goal as Christians is, is not geopolitical, right? David was, was king, and uh, kingship back then meant uh, boundaries, and it meant war, and nations were literally right over here, and there, that was a constant thing. Our goal as Christians is not geopolitical conquest, but it's getting the gospel to all people. It's getting the gospel to all people. Uh, from verse 38, that verse, that word there, thrust, them through is this word crush. It's a Hebrew word for crush, which gets us back to Genesis 3.15. And in Genesis 3.15 is this big, humongous arrow in the third chapter of the Bible that's pointing toward Jesus Christ, and that one day Jesus would crush Satan's head. The offspring of Eve would crush Satan's head. And as Christians, the evil one uh, has already lost us. Praise the Lord. He's already lost us. 
right? And we know that one day Jesus is going to crush the head of the evil one. And we think like, that's going to be awesome. Can't wait for that day. I think we're going to see it. I think we're going to see that happen. But we think about what, what can we do, right? I know Jesus can crush Satan's head. I, I can't really do that, but what can we do? And and I think we read this passage and we see God equipping us for battle and we realize we can crush certain evils in this world with, with the ways that God has equipped us, the way God is equipping us. So what are those things? What is the equipping that God has given us? Here's, here's just three things. And number one is, is speaking God's word, which is the sword of the spirit. Speaking God's word, which is the sword of the spirit. Y'all, y'all our world desperately needs the Bible. Our world def- desperately needs God's word. Our world is, is making truth whatever, whatever it feels, whatever's popular. It's popular for six months and then it's something else. I mean, it is maddening. Talk about being tossed to and fro by the winds and waves of doctrine of this world. And then we have God and we have his word that never fades. It never, it never withers. His word endures forever. We can speak the word, the God's word, which is called the sword of the spirit into our world. We do it, we do it with kindness. We do it with love, but we speak the truth, right? Our world needs that. The second one is prayer which is powerful and it's working. Prayer, which is powerful and it's working. We watch the news and we see all these difficult things that are going on and we're like, what do we do, Lord? And he's like, pray, pray. Your prayers are powerful as they're working. Be righteous and pray because your prayers are powerful as they are working. You see something going on in in your life. You see something going on in another person's life. You see something going on on the other side of the world. What do you do? You pray. God has equipped us for battle and we pray. And then the third one is is leading people in the tor- who are in the torrent to the mountain of God. Leading people who are in the torrent to the mountain of God. So thinking about that image we looked at earlier, it, like we're able, we're on the mountain of God because of grace, by faith through Jesus Christ, he's pulled us, he saved us, and we can reach down to people that don't know the Lord as they're, cry- as they're crying out for help, and we can say, there's Jesus for you, you can come to the Lord, and so we're helping people out of that enslaving, swirling, encompassing tying up, entangling situation that is this world and its brokenness. God has given us all of those, all of that equipping. So some questions are, who, who are people that you desire to reach with the good news of Jesus? Who are people that you desire to reach with the good news of Jesus? And just realize God is equipping you for that. He has already equipped you for that, to share God's word with them, to pray for them, to lead them who are in the torrent to the mountain of God. Another question is, what is an evil that you'd like to see pushed back using your equipping from God? What's an evil in our world that just really particularly, for whatever reason, the way that God is wired, you really gets under your skin? And maybe something that God has given you a particular passion about. Maybe there's a few other people in the church. Like what is an evil that you could help push back in this world? Maybe it's super dark and it could be a little less dark because of your impact. What's something like that? We all can't tackle all of them individually, but... Certainly the thing that God has given you particularly to be passionate about, God has equipped you for that and I wanna encourage you to go for it. I wanna encourage you to speak God's word into that, to pray, uh, to lead people to Jesus in that, to volunteer, to serve, to do something uh, for light in those ways. God has equipped you for these things and though they seem like steel in our world, verse 42 says that they are like chaff before God. So let's believe that and let's pray and let's get God's word in there and let's, let's work, right, leading people to the Lord Jesus, all right? So we've seen the four, the four parts of the outline and here's the fifth one and it's how it closes, verses 46 through 50 and this one, it closes like this, God delivered me and so I'm praising him. And y'all, I love how public this is. 
How many Christians do you know? You're like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm pretty private about my faith. And then there's David who's like, to the choir master, right? Like, say this to everyone. And I think that whole thing about I'm pretty private about my faith just needs to go bye-bye if that's, if that's you, right? Like, let's tell people about our faith. We gotta tell people about what God's done. God delivered me, and it doesn't end there. That's not a period it's on the sentence. It's like God delivered me, and so I'm praising him, 46 through 50. He says, the Lord lives, right? Yahweh lives. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. Yes, you rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. The crescendo at the end of this psalm is that Yahweh lives and Yahweh loves. Right, our big idea, Yahweh lives and loves. So are you praising God for him delivering you? Are you more certain than ever that Yahweh lives, that God lives? Are you more certain than ever that God loves? And, and if you are, I want you to tell him. Tell your loved ones, tell the lost, tell your enemies. It is exactly what David is doing. It is exactly what is commended to us because Psalm 18 is recorded in the Psalter for us to behold and to apply. The very end of Psalm 18, verse 50, it says, to David and his offspring forever. That is a very interesting phrase, and that is a very humongous arrow to the Lord Jesus. Who is David's offspring? It's Jesus. 2 Samuel 7 is the Davidic covenant. And during that, that moment where God is speaking to David, God promised David a king in his line who would rule forever. See, David would die, right? David would be buried. But then King Jesus would die and be buried and then rise again and rule on God's throne, on God's mountain forever. And David gained this covenant and he placed his faith in that covenant. And we get to look back and see the fulfillment of that covenant and enjoy its current application as Jesus is on the throne resurrected. Psalm 18 is about David, but it's also about Jesus. We think about Psalm 18 par excellence being about Jesus. You put these words of Psalm 18 on the lips of Jesus and you're like, that makes even more sense now. And maybe you thought that a little bit about Psalm 17 as you're discussing it in your small groups this past week. Psalm 16, Psalm 15, honestly, all the way through 24. Psalm 15 through Psalm 24 are all about the coming king. His name is the Lord Jesus. And so God is doing so many things in Psalm 18. Yes, it's about David's life. Yes, it's about us as well and how we can apply the Lord. But it's also about what God is doing at a cosmic level to rescue humanity and to draw humanity to itself, right? I want y'all to think of this about Jesus with this Psalm. It was Jesus who came down from the heavens Right? It was Jesus who walked on the waters uh, to carry a cross up a hill and then the skies grew dark. And let me, let me just pause and back up a minute. I wanna put this picture up again. Right? I want you to see this scene. I want you to think about the Old Testament, how the Old Testament pictures some of these big words and that torrent that's pulling us down. And then I want you to think about God and how he's rescuing humanity out of it, how he's rescued us out of it. And then I wanna say these things about the Lord Jesus, okay? It was the Lord Jesus 
who came down from the heavens. It was the Lord Jesus who walked on the waters to carry a cross up a hill, and then the skies grew dark. It was Jesus who was killed by the enemy and buried in the torrents, buried in Sheol, but rose from the dead with the earth shaking. Y'all know the resurrection stories at the end of every gospel. All of those things happened. You think about this picture and all of the imagery in Psalm 18. And you realize, oh man, this is about Jesus. And I'm, I'm all wrapped up in that because I'm part of his kingdom. He's doing bigger things than I ever imagined he's done. He's done bigger things than I've ever imagined he's done. This is our story. Right? Your redemption is not just like, like, I'm a sinner and God saved me. Your redemption is like you were swirling in all of the brokenness and, and down current of this world and God rescued you out of that because he delights in you. He loves you. He saved you. He's delivered you. He's given you ministry and he's given you the ability to praise. Jesus is our means of epic deliverance. Jesus is our means of epic deliverance. So I wanna ask you, what's your glory story? What is your glory story? For sure, it's your conversion, right? That's number one, the number one glory story, your conversion, and then way down here, like two, three, four, five, six, seven, right? Number one, it's your, it's your own conversion. Like you were a sinner walking in darkness, the deadness of your sins, and God delivered you and saved you through your faith in Jesus Christ if you've placed your faith in him. If you haven't, place your faith in him. He's the rescuer, right? He's your means of forgiveness. Place your faith in Jesus for salvation, in life with God. And then, and then um, what are your other glory stories? What else has he done? What's a circumstance in your life where you're facing it and it's so hard and he pulled you out of it, just straight up out of it, like ended the darkness? Or maybe there's a situation where you're still in the darkness and there's still the swirl all around you, but somehow you're on dry land and you're standing with the Lord and you're confident in Jesus and his word. Life's still dark. The storm clouds are still there, but you're with God. And so you have peace that surpasses all understanding. How has God done that for you? How's God done that for you? So as you hear David start this psalm with, I love you, Lord, my rock. And as you hear David finish this psalm, you love me, God, your anointed. What is the story between your conversion and the time Jesus is gonna take you home for which you can give God praise? a miracle story, recovery story, your conversion story. So right now I wanna give you just a minute to jot down a quick outline of a God at work story in your life. Maybe it's just a couple words right now. It's all it can be. Like what has God done for you? Right, just take the outline from today. It's, it's David's outline. It's God's outline that God gave David to write down. So it's our outline as his people. Right? Just write it down and give him the glory and honor he deserves for rescuing you. And I pray that you'd recognize he's rescued you from far more than you realize he's rescued you from. Like the stakes are higher, the stakes were bigger than any of us recognize. And I think we get to heaven, we're gonna be like, oh my goodness, thank you God, in a bigger way than we could ever anticipate. So as much as we know how, just from this few minutes in Psalm 18, just give God the glory for what he's done. Recognize you're a part of a long heritage of God's people. God getting his people through rough waters. God leading people with his commanding word. 
God delivering people from the spiritual powers, ultimately delivering us from the second death of hell. So write down how you know that Yahweh lives and loves. And I'll pray here in just a moment. Jesus, you are our refuge. We were in the torrents. We were in the downward pull of Sheol. We were in the chaos of this world, being devoured by this world and its wicked schemes and the evil one and by your grace, by your love, because you delighted in us. You reached down as we called to you and you pulled us up out of those and set us in a broad place, a place place of peace with you, a place of peace in the midst of all the chaos of this world. And for that, Lord, we give you praise. We give you glory for that glory story, the big one, our conversion. And God, for all the other ways that you are constantly at work for us in bigger, broader, more powerful ways than we could ever imagine or think, we give you glory. Thank you, Lord, for the rescue that you've allowed and provided through Jesus and for enlivening our hearts and our minds to receive that, to accept that, to place our faith in that. And God, if there's anyone here or watching today who doesn't know you, I pray today is the day of their salvation. They place their faith in you, the rescuer. Nothing's like it. Nothing can do this other than you, Lord Jesus. No one, no thing at any time, only you. So if that's you, place your faith in Jesus and be saved. Be forgiven your sins and get new life. Let God pull you to his mountain and give you his word and abide in Jesus and his word. Lord, we love you. We give you praise. Thank you for this family of faith that you've created and allowed for us to be together. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by the power of your spirit. Amen.